Social Justice Forum, where individuals give their perspectives on various topics. It's an opportunity to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on justice issues affecting the community and globally. Each episode features guests presenting their perspective on things like climate change, the church, urban farming, and food insecurity, all through a unique faith lens. Come check us out. Give us your perspective. Good evening and welcome to Perspectives On, where we're giving the world a voice. I am Lyra Lane White, your host. Well, what can I say? This has been an eventful uh, past two weeks. Uh, we've had some exciting things to happen uh, in our American culture, as well as a lot of uh, challenges to our moral perspectives, as well as I guess by this being a this season for elections, um, there's a lot going on to, to say the least. And so tonight is a very special, uh, uh, what we call for perspectives are what we call the, the women's laboratory. And in the women's laboratory, we address issues, uh, relevant issues that come up that have, uh, that are currently in the news, as well as some key issues that are, uh, related, relatable, it, it specifically for women. Uh, on this week, uh, we are uh, at the post of our vice presidential debate. We will talk about that. We will talk about the status of women in the workplace. And so I have been joined by an illustrious group of women who are poised to show and share their perspective on these issues. And we hope to have a great round out discussion. Uh, as usual, if I encourage everyone to share, to watch, to share, to ask questions and be informed. And so if you're able and you have a question, please drop it in the chat box. Uh, we, we're also live on our Instagram as well as our YouTube channel. So uh, like us and take some time and spend a little time with us on this evening. We're glad you're here, and I'm glad to share this hour with these young women. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Reverend Shelton. Why don't you introduce yourself and you know tell us a little bit about yourself and as we move on. Good evening, everyone. And again, to Dr. White, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be on Perspectives On and to the other esteemed panelists. Uh, my sisters, we're excited to um, be sharing with you. I am uh, Pastor Kim Shelton, the pastor of Good News Community Church in Chicago, Illinois, on the north side of Chicago. Uh, I serve as a senior pastor there. And so I'm excited to serve on this panel just to give reflections on the updated uh, Vice President Candidate um, Forum, as well as some other issues that we would discuss. So I'm excited and delighted to be here. Thank you. Okay, all right, who's next? Anyone, just jump in. Reverend Holness, Roland, we can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, I was just trying to jump in. I guess I was faster than I thought. Um, <laughs> couldn't catch up with myself. But I'm Reverend Allie Holness Rowland. I am an assistant pastor at Adams Inspirational AME Church in Fort Washington, Maryland. And I also serve as pastor to youth church at Big Bethel AME Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I am delighted to be here. I love discussing issues in regards to women and faith. So I'm looking forward to what we're going to share this evening. All right, anybody? Greetings, I'm Dr. Malone. I am the clinical director of MHT Family Life Center and also the director of spirituality with Signature Healthcare. All right. Thank you, doctor, for being with us tonight. And last but not least, come on, Miss Angela. Hi, my name is Angela Lee. I'm currently a special correspondent for Dr. White in Perspectives On. And I'm excited to be here to learn more from everyone. I, I really do appreciate the diversity that we have here among our, uh, our panelists, because I think it gives us an opportunity to really um, have a clear perspective or more than just 
one perspective, especially from, uh, you know, especially given that we have women of color here. Um, our first question tonight, I mean, well, kind of goes without saying, this is the, the, the day after the vice presidential debate. Uh, and so I don't know about you guys, but to me, it's, there's a lot to talk about, uh, a lot of surprises from the media. Anybody want to start out? I, I mean, think, I don't want to do all the talking. So <laughs> go ahead, because you look like you get ready to say something. Right. I think um, there was so many things that happened in debate. As I am looking at the debate and reading my timeline on social media, there was just all kinds of uh, rhetoric going on uh, regarding the debate and how uh, the, the the disrespect, as we would say, at not allowing one another to talk. Um, not uh, listening to the facilitator, the moderator who's telling them, you have so many times. So a lot of that got round um, out in the conversation. But in the conversation, it was interesting to hear uh, Vice President Pence continue to say, you, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own fact, right? That, that's a big quotation that was happening. But I believe both of them had their opinions and some facts related to that, but just to see Kamala Harris have hold her own, not get disruptive, but to still be peaceful, still be respectful, even in the midst of that, to say, I allowed you to talk, now it's time for me to talk, uh, again, to try to keep the issues at bay, as well as what their agenda was. And so I appreciate her calmness as much as possible <laughs> in the debate um, as well as just sharing um, just her altogether black magic. I know, but she was just like, uh, excuse me, but I'm still speaking. This is interesting. Yeah, she was definitely giving, the, giving faces for days. I mean, I thought that, you know, just seeing all of that up there was wonderful because as a black woman, woman we don't get to see ourselves, number one. Right. So it was really nice seeing her up there. And I think I agree with you, uh, Pastor Shelton. One of the things that that she did well, I think, was just kind of holding her own. And at a point when she really wanted to, you know, respond to what uh, Vice President Pence said, she said, "No, please give me the opportunity." And I loved how she advocated for herself because the um, because the moderator wasn't going to give her that time because it wasn't hers at that point, and she yet and still advocated and requested and asked. Something that really stood out for me was when um, I think Mike Pence said, Vice President, excuse me, Pence said, stop playing politics with people's lives. And, you know, prior to the show starting, we were talking about how over 210,000 people have died. And so for him to make such a statement on national television, I almost thought a couple of a couple of points that he made were almost laughable, not to mention the fly that was there. You know, it was just <laughs> a lot of dynamics going on. I mean, things that brought, you know, humor to it, to the situation, you know, a, such a real situation. And here's this fly, nothing they could do, you know, to prevent that. And so I just think that a lot of there, I loved how she held her own. Um, I, I loved how she advocated for herself as a woman and how she kind of that was an educational moment for me. I thought that was yeah. a learning moment. You know, sh people won't give you the floor. Sometimes you have to take it and advocate for yourself. So I thought for every young woman and young men that were there watching, you know, the takeaway to me was, hey, speak up, let your voice be heard, advocate for yourself. So I thought that she did really well with that. Um, you know, as far as the policies and all of that go, I don't think they answered a lot of questions, you know, so <laughs> that kind of for me, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, when he kept coming back and saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use this time to make sure you understand my point. I'm like, well, can you answer the question, you know, in the process of that? So I think it was very interesting. A lot of school students, I'm sure were sitting around like, but that's not the question, but that's not the question. You know, so I thought that, that, that was a very interesting dynamic as well. And, and I think he kind of derailed that whole uh, question answering piece, because as the moderator tried to move to the next subject, he would step in and say, well, I want to go back to. Exactly. And so th there wasn't time that did not allow enough time to right. address new questions or to answer the questions that were uh, at, you know, that were at bay. And so I'm wondering if that was a, a, a tactic, if they were doing that, if that was a, like a strategy, but I don't know. I wonder it's a way to hijack, right? To hijack right. the debate. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they did that well. Um, what Reverend Ali was saying, 
uh, there was a piece of her that she's, she was presidential. I'll put it like this, because even after the attacks, so she was presidential. She didn't lose her cool. Cause you know, they always say that women are emotional. Mm-hmm. So we can't run the country cause we get emotional. She didn't get emotional. She stayed intact. She stayed through to the point. Um, and, and she, you know, had her voice. So she's also a, pros- a, pros- a prosecutor, you know, an attorney. So she's used to being in the court, going back and forth, trying to make sure that her points heard and that her client is set free. So she, she's used to that. But I like how she kept her demeanor and she was presidential. Mm-hmm. I appreciated how she, as a prosecutor, I appreciated how she acknowledged the injustice um, when he brought up Breonna Taylor, how she acknowledged the injustice, how she acknowledged that there are good cops and bad cops, how she acknowledged that policies need to be changed, and she didn't run away from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the way that he did, you know, they are quick to um, talk about the rioting and the looting um, and how they support the blue as if Democrats or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris don't support the blue. But that's not the issue. It's not about not supporting the blue. Uh It's about balance. What about black and brown people that are dying in the street? They are quick to state that they are pro-life. But in my opinion, you are not pro-life when you are okay with the killing of black and brown people. Because if you are pro-life, if you are so concerned with um, a woman and what they are carrying in their womb, right, before it's born, and you're not okay with someone's son and daughter that are already walking on this earth, to me, that's problematic. So the term pro-life is 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 problematic to me. Okay. So um, I think that she handled herself very well. Um, I like the fact that she acknowledged um, the fact that there is injustice. I like the fact that she acknowledged that changes need to be made and that she didn't just get on uh, the bandwagon of okay, going to the defend, uh, we support the police, but being able to be in that seat, no, this is a problem and we need to make these changes and it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And being mm-hmm. able to just be in that space. Whereas from what I have been witnessing with this administration, they have not been able to acknowledge that it is not okay for black and brown people to be killed dead in the street by anybody. It don't matter if it's a police officer or not a police officer, period. Right. And I think that you make a really good point that the Republican party is pretty notorious for not addressing the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think Kamala Harris and Biden last week when they had their debate did a great job of supporting the protests, not necessarily the violence. And we have to remember the violence doesn't necessarily always stem from protesting. Absolutely. There are people protesting and that we make sure people are informed of that too. And that's what we support. And I think they've done a beautiful job of mentioning that. Mm -hmm. I um, just want to lift up a meme that I saw on social media the other day. It said, because you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, the the rioters, and it said um, all of this conversation about why we have to, why, um, you know, why people are getting upset and turning into protesters. Well, we need to be concerned about why an arrest is turning into a murder. You know, I just thought that that was really profound. And I, when he said that, you know, I almost wanted, I wish that I could have just been that little fly and held a sign up, you know, so that people could see it because I think a lot of times we get lost in in that, you know, we forget the civil rights movement and we just forget all of these movements and how 
progress and change has occurred in our country. There's a there there is a historical reality of how these things have happened. And you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And I think people often forget that. You know, each generation looks at the next one like, oh, you're so much worse. And as a millennial myself, it's so funny to me. You know, it's almost laughable because I remember what my mother's generation was doing. And I remember what the generation before her, I've learned about it in history books, right? So I think it's just so interesting how we forget about change and the process of change in this specific country and, and in the rest of the world as well. And what was that meme about now? Oh, the meme was just speaking to, it was saying people are so concerned about how, um, basically how protest is turning into looting. Okay. And it said, well, I'm concerned about how, um, how a police stop or a you know failure to turn signal is turning it is has turned into a murder. You know, so they're just asking for some clarity in terms of that. You know, people are saying, why is this turning into why is why do protests why does protesting have to turn into looting and rioting? Mm -hmm. And they're just saying, well, why does a police stop have to turn into a murder or a death? You know? Gotcha, gotcha. I was yeah. trying to see if I could find that particular to share mm -hmm. with yeah. our audience. I, I, I think the mean says. Uh, why did riot turn into looting? And then they said, why didn't arrest turn into murder? So if you're asking those questions, here's the question. But Martin Luther King says, riot is the voice of the unheard, is the language of the unheard. That's right. Um, and so you hear when there's rioting, then you do what we're doing peaceful protesting. Uh, because we took a knee for a year. We did peaceful protesting for a couple of months. But as soon as we start rioting, oh, 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 now attention comes. So riot becomes the language of the unheard because it always starts out well and civil. And then we go into civil disobedience. But when um, we took the knee, that was a problem because that was un-American. Even though we kneel to pray to the God, right, that they use as their reason for the issues with same-sex marriage, with abortion, or anything else that them and the evangelicals use up under their banner. But for me, the whole issue uh, with civil and civil unrest, we have to recognize that we need protests, right, in order to affect change. And just because the media is showing the looting and the rioting doesn't mean that it's occurring from the people that's organizing the protests. Mm -hmm. So you have people that's coming to the protests that's not a part of the protests mm -hmm. that are sent there to portray the protesters in a negative light. They have nothing to do with the protesters or the agenda that we stand for. Mm -hmm. Because we're protesting for change, right? Right. The people that's coming there to elude something else have a totally different agenda. And a lot of times they are placed there by someone else's agenda to portray us in a different light. I think that we have to view it in a, in a larger um, perspective and we can't be so narrow minded with our thinking. Now, I, but for me, the, the bigger picture than that is the fact that we have to continue to protest for justice in 2020, knowing that our ancestors and many people have marched and died for basic civil liberty. Amen. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because we're just asking for justice, right? That's so, all. You, you arrested George Floyd. Okay, he did wrong, you arrest him. We get that. But then but we murdered him. Like, you arrest him, he was in the car, you snatched him out the car, and you murdered him. So I'm like, we're okay with the arrest. If somebody's doing something wrong, then the law, we follow the law. And the law doesn't say you murder them. The law says we arrest them, we give them a free trial, we do all these things. And so when we don't do the things according to the law, now we have concerns and we get to question that. Um, and it all comes down to that. But I think people like to uh, disturb the narrative so that it says something else, that it looks like something else, then it really is. 
And so um, riot is the language the unheard. It was supposed to be arrest. It became a murder. We didn't care if you arrest them. We cared right. if you murdered them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same thing that happened in New York with the young man in New York. He was he was illegally selling cigarettes. Okay, mm-hmm. so he was breaking the law. Right. So so I mean, just like with anyone else who's breaking the law, then you know you do the crime, etc. But what matters is that that young man did not get an opportunity to face uh, face the judge. He didn't get an opportunity to um, you know plead his case and, or go home to his family. That's what counts in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, it is very sad. You know, I think it's sad because I these the things that we're talking about now are the same things that my mother was fighting for in her day, and so it 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 you know it makes me almost wonder like what what progress <laughs> where are we are we going backwards? You know, it it just it it's almost like a thrower and like a kicker in ways because you think about sure here we have our first. Um, African-American woman on stage as a VP candidate. Um, wonderful, amazing. And then at the same time, our conversation is Breonna Taylor. And you know, people act like they forget about Sandra Bland and Corinne Gaines. And I'm just like all of these other women who have just been forgotten, you know? And even as we say George Floyd's name, people have completely forgotten, you know, Breonna Taylor, you know, in the midst of that, you would hear them often say like Ahmaud Arbery or someone else, Rayshard Brooks, and she would usually get left off. And so, you know, for me, it was, it's almost like how, you know, how can we in this country? And, and the reality is that the way that we can forward ourselves is by putting ourselves in position like Kamala Harris. I think that is why she is such a wonderful role model um, for our children at this time, because she is um, providing a different perspective, if you will, in terms of what leadership looks like in this country. Other countries have seen black women in leadership roles. Um, black women have been leaders and heads of states in other countries. This is our first time though. So I think for these young women that are seeing her, it's a wonderful opportunity to say, oh, you can do that too. You can effectuate change and you can be in a position to actually do some of that. Because when we talk about change and making it happen, the reality is we could talk about it until the cows come home. But unless you're in a position to make it happen, you know, it's 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 limited conversation. And so it's so wonderful to me, you know, just sticking to to our current conversation that we do have someone like her that's in a position to be able to provide that because young black men had it when they saw Barack Obama. Right. Regardless of what he did, you know, I think a lot of folks were like, oh, I'm, you know, he's, he's the first black president we've ever had. He can do no wrong. They were okay with that. You know, and that's, that's everyone is entitled to how they feel. But, you know, at the same time, it's nice to see a woman who, who is, and I thought when she spoke last night, I think for me, what really just sealed the deal was when she looked at him and said, hold on, I'm ba-. she didn't say it in these words, but she basically said, I'm the one that's qualified here. I'm the one that's done this work. And I think- And I think more often than not, we come, you know, we as women, we don't have the privilege to come have stepping. You know, we come to the table with everything because we already know they're going to see us in the back of the room. Exactly. So regardless, we're coming with, with the whole suitcase, the kit caboodle and everything else. <laughs> so I think that, again, you know, to know that she's qualified, you can't really question. She has the job experience, um, the, the work experience in that field, not, you know, translated from another one trying to make it fit. Um, and so I think that that in and of itself for me, at this juncture in our country, I think it speaks volumes. Yes, yes. Now you said something earlier about, you know, where where's the progress? Cause you know, some of the same things, some of the same issues we are facing today were faced with some of the, the forerunners of the civil rights movement going back to the sixties and fifties to forties and going back forward. I think what has happened in my generation, maybe not your generation, uh, Reverend Holness Roland, is my generation did not embrace the struggle. Uh, we, mm. we we kind of rolled the coattails of the generation before me. And when I say the generation before me, I mean those contemporaries of Dr. Martin Luther King, 
his contemporaries, we kind of rode that coattail and we didn't embrace the struggle. But just like in the words of, um, of Frederick Douglass, if there's no struggle, there won't be any progress. Mm -hmm. and so in my generation, we didn't embrace the struggle. The struggle was still there and it was still alive, but we didn't embrace it. So our progress was limited. And so now we're at a point in, in our history where culturally, um, and not just the, uh, the cultural the culture purpose of color, but we're at a point where in American culture in particular, I think it's worldwide, it's not just in America, but I think we are at a point right now in history where we don't have a choice but to embrace the struggle. And as we embrace that struggle, the prayer is that there will be change. And so when we see a, a, a woman of color on the stage as vice president, now we've seen some great women. I mean, we, we saw um, we saw Michelle Obama, the first African-American uh, first lady. We've seen Oprah Winfrey, the first African-American woman that can own a movie studio or a television channel. I mean, who, who would imagine that? You know, something other than uh, uh, fashion or doing hair. Uh, you know, and that's not, I'm not to, not to put that down, but I'm just saying a woman that was, was able to lead the pack in that world of journalism. Uh, so we've seen it before, but in this, in my generation, um, we did not embrace the struggle. Like now we have to embrace that struggle. The circumstances calling for us to take back our government, to take back our land, to take back our family, our black men. And so the circumstance calls for us to jump in, whether we are protesting, whether we are walking the line, if we're on television, if we're not on television, if we're writing articles or writing blogs or starting a business. Um, it's time for us now, right now, to do something, activate and engage the struggle. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of I like I love what you said, because it's, it's so unique. It's such a unique perspective. Um, but speaking from the perspective of my gen my particular generation, uh, I know that we we kind of dropped the ball. But we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Thank you for filling that gap for me. <laughs> And, and I agree with that. That's why I had a, I have an issue with Trump's whole slogan, make America great again. Right. So it made me to reflect on the 13th Amendment, you know, where slavery was abolished and the 14th Amendment where slavery, uh, we got citizenship. And then the 15th Amendment where black men were able to vote. Right. And then the 19th Amendment where women were able to vote. So what, what are we making great again? Mm. Undoing some things, mm. make it the way it used to be prior to the 13th Amendment. So I, I think as a, as, a, as a nation that we really need to be able to reflect what, what does it mean to make America great again when you have a person in the White House, I'm not gonna call him a leader because I don't believe he's a leader. Uh, you have someone in the White House that's not even able to come out and say that it's, unjust or it's wrong uh for people to come out and just kill one another is or be white supremacist it's 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 okay to to be a white supremacist it's it's you know he can't even come out and say that he's against it right mm -hmm. stand stand back and and stand by stand, 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 stand by and stand by and then the whole thing with, um his his use of you know, manipulating his people as far as voting goes. You know, that is a form of voter suppression. You know, scaring people not to vote because letting us think that our vote is not gonna count. Whoever is watching this, your vote matters, go out and vote. Mm -hmm. Vote. Like your life depends on it. Like your life depends on it. it not like it, it does. And, and as a people, <laughs> not and like as it, it people, does. We have power in our pocket. That's how we made change before when we boycotted, right? And we have power now with our vote, and they know that. Yes. Now, Dr. Thurman Malone, I can barely hear you, so you may need to adjust your volume for us. Because you're saying some powerful stuff. We just want to make sure we hear you. We hear what you're saying. And I, and I hope the people, can you hear me now? Mm -hmm. Watching 
are not fooled by the trickery <laughs> that is played on the television, the fake news that's coming from the person in the White House. Your vote matters, you matter, whether you mail in your ballot or you wear your mask, your shield, you take your chair and your water and you stand in line and be prepared to vote. Because we matter, your vote matters, and collectively, as a people, we can affect change to make sure that we don't go back before the 12th Amendment. Amen to that. Notice I said that the 13th Amendment was the abolishment of slavery. The 14th Amendment is when slaves became citizens. Okay? The 15th Amendment, African, African men, African American men, had the vote, was able to vote, right? In the 19th Amendment, white women was able to vote. Mm. So that's a great segue to the, our next topic, and I want to make sure that um, I... I I don't I, I don't want us to spend a whole lot of time uh, just focused primarily on the on, on Mr. Trump. But I do want us to talk a little bit about the implications of uh, the, the new Supreme Court justice nominee. And if we have persons in the audience who who have questions or comments about that, they are you're certainly welcome. To, to share those, but I'm interested in finding out uh, from our panel tonight. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on the uh, the replacement for Ruth Bader? Get uh, okay. I don't want to. I'm, I'm nervous, so I don't want to get her. RBG. 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 Notorious RBG. Notorious RBG. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend Holness. Uh, replacement and how. The, the latest news and how this, this latest news uh, affects that replacement, because uh, I mean, it's well known that uh, that he does have the votes, the votes are there to replace, um, you know, be prior to the election. And it does kind of put, it does kind of position the, the Supreme Court to interfere, or and I'm not gonna say interfere, intervene uh, in the event that the election is uh, the the results of the election is is questioned, but it's more to it than that. And I just kind of want us to talk about, you know, what are the implications of you know what can happen? Uh, what does it mean to to, to have this particular uh, nominee? As it will change the dynamic of the Supreme Court, making it a, a lot more um, traditional, a lot more um, conservative. What do you thought? I think what was in, I think what was interesting yesterday that uh, Vice President Pence had mentioned that there were so many federal judge openings before Trump came into office. So the question is, how come the predecessors didn't fill some of these slots? And so Trump got very busy filling these federal judge slots. It was like twenty something. And he got extremely busy filling them up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, he got extremely busy filling them up. And they've been vacant for a while. But they said, we came in with these many. So how come, if y'all was concerned, why y'all didn't do anything about it? And why are you mad that we doing something about it? Of course, we're going to put our agenda in. That's what we do. You had an opportunity to put your agenda in. You failed not to do that. And so Amy uh, Barrett, I believe that's her name, who's coming in, uh, is a different term. She, 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 she is a different conservative way. And a lot of women uh, rights people are having concern about her views on uh, reproductive health and issues. The LGBTQIA community are having concerns because of very conservative ways. And so they're just wondering the highest court is so conservative, what is that gonna do for those who don't fit into that? I mean, even playing on her Catholic, uh, her Catholicism that's uh, uh, pronounced Catholic, 
whatever. <laughs> we could say some Hail Marys then. And <laughs> we should be able to let some people go. But that's not it, right? So um, I think to stack the deck, um, as they call it, you know, we're playing cards, we stack the deck to make sure that the Supreme Court, not only for today, but for forever, is a conservative court. That, that message, make America great again, I don't know how great we're going to be, uh, but we're on this side of the point. There's a lot of people on the other side of the point who's saying that this is perfect. This is exactly what we want, because this is what's going to make America great. We don't need all that uh, abortion, get rid of parent plan, parent plan, whatever, Planned Parenthood, like get rid of all this justice stuff, um, get rid of all of this, you know, all these things that is going, is going to hurt us. Um, and I think we failed to do something on the front end. So now we, we're, we're paying for it on the back end. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the honest truth. Like we, we let those seats stay open for them to stack the deck. But yeah. first we need to recognize that McConnell locked President Obama. It wasn't that they let them seats stay vacant, mm -hmm. right? And, and people, um, put a lot of slack on President Obama when he was in office. His hands was tied a lot of the time because it was him. And and let's be let's let's just be real with it. And uh, he couldn't do a lot of the things that he would have been able to do because of the color of his skin. Exactly. Right? And so now we have Trump in there and they bending over backwards to let him do whatever he want to do. Say whatever he want to do, right? And so here we are with this, I'm gonna call it a mess, right? And I'm gonna say for people of color, right? So how many judges has he appointed, okay? So just let's just deal with the Court of Appeals. He has appointed 53, right? Out of the 53, one Hispanic and 52 whites. Right. Who do you think that's gonna impact? <laughs> people of color. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. That's right. That's why I said it's important for us to be more mm -hmm. responsible, suck it up, and go vote. Go vote. Right. <laughs> suck it up. Go vote. I mean, <laughs> it's time out for complaining. I mean, we have a choice to make. We have two options. The current one that's in the White House who led us into a pandemic and has not taken any responsibility and families have been suffering because of it, both economically as well as great loss. And we have Joe with 47 years of experience and he may not have been perfect and he may not be perfect because there's no perfect person to lead us. However, he cares about all people, mm -hmm. and well, he has the best choice. And now, and now, Miss Mary Mitchell brings up a good point. On last night, uh, Vice President Pence did uh, accuse uh, Kamala. He asked a question he did. about whether or not they would, if 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 the table was to turn, uh, would would they stack the bench? Right. And so that was one of the questions that he wanted to go. He, he wanted to say, let the record state, which, you know, I know that's a phrase that's used in court. I didn't know we were in court, but he used that phrase that's commonly used, you know. And he said, uh, let the record show that she did not answer this question. Well, that question really wasn't, I mean, it really held no no merit because, I mean, what's, so what's the, what's going to, what does it look like? You know, it's happening now with Republicans. I mean, you just you just made this report about the number of federal judges, uh, uh, court of appeal judges, circuit court of appeal judges has been uh, uh, been appointed. I mean, when you ask the question about are you going to stack the bench? I mean, if you're representing a party, of course you're going to do you're going to make decisions based on a uh, based on advancing the agenda of the party. So of course. If I'm if I'm a liberal, if I'm a liberal politician, of course I'm gonna try to put in as many liberal politicians as <laughs> judges. Yeah, 
That mm -hmm. was, I mean, why did she even need to ask that answer that question in the first place? But yes, let's see. Yeah, it's good to, to examine what it is that that you know that's actually happening. Yeah. yeah. I, don't want I think Vince also was talking about the thought that they were going to add additional seats to the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. That was, that was the stack. Like, if if you all don't get your way, y'all want to go and add additional seats to the Supreme Court. Huh? Right, right. That's the, yeah, they were talking about that. But see, I don't know if that, I'll, I'll be interested in seeing if that's, that would that would happen. I guess if we, if, I think that question comes up because with the election of this this one person, this new nominee to the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. it, it just creates a, a very uh, a conservative dynamic for the Supreme Court and they serve for life. And so the mm -hmm. Democrats are gonna advocate altering, that would take another, that would take us altering the constitution, which which is not something that's gonna happen, that, that can happen, um, you know, very easily. Um, so, you know, I think uh, she's already gone on record to say that she feels that Roe versus Wade should be um, should be rescinded or struck down or reversed. Um, they're already talking. There's already talk of uh, declaring Obamacare uh, uh, unconstitutional. Uh, the entire you know Obamacare piece unconstitutional. And so the question comes up: If that happens, you know, how does that impact the health health coverage for America? And it's it's going to automatically disproportionately impact um, persons of color, uh, immigrants, the people that are here. It's going to impact uh, insurance companies. Insurance rates are going to go up. You know, there's going to be an excuse for insurance companies to raise raise uh, insurance rates. So it's it's going to have a domino effect, and um, and, and will that that to you know for days to come. I, I'm of the opinion that uh, America's moral moral compass is is in question right now. There's a there's a uh, a challenge for America to re-examine what is what exactly is important for American culture, and so it could be that if we have this shift of dynamic on the Supreme Court. To a conservative, and I'm not saying that I want to see that because I really believe there should be that it should be equal, there should be equal representation. But it could be that if we see this shift, shifting of the dynamic on the Supreme Court to a more conservative, it could, uh, it might not necessarily, uh, especially if we as a people, if we as people of color, really get in and embrace the struggle. It might not necessarily that piece of it may not necessarily work against us, but I, I know I'm saying some big words now because I know some people may not agree with that. But um, you know, the, like I said, the moral compass of America is really being tested right now, and it's probably going to it's probably going to change. It's probably going to be shifting all over. So, um, but I don't want again. I, you know, y'all y'all know I don't want to do all the talking. Does anybody else have anything to share on this? I wanted to, to jump in. Um, sure. I think that I think that you know, as we're watching um, as we're watching California burn and other parts of the West Coast burn, um, I think that the nominee has pretty much made it clear one that she doesn't have too much experience, and and maybe experience doesn't equate to understanding, but she doesn't have much experience in terms of the environment. Um, and so I think that where we are right now, that's important because I was just talking to a friend of mine who was saying um, she was speaking to a friend of hers who she was on the phone with as she was watching a school, her son's school burned down. And so I think, you know, those are those are things that while they may be at the beginning stages of happening, fires are normal in California. Um, so this is not something that's new. And I think that we really need people in government, in positions that can make change happen, who can relate, who understand, who know about these types of issues. And I think that this opening could really be an opportunity, um, using your words, Dr. White, an opportunity for us, us to shift that moral compass. And I think that if we go with the status quo, because unfortunately I do see this nominee as the status quo, 
just furthering um, the pa <laughs> the patriarchy, if you will. Yeah, and um, right, anytime right. I think that you have someone telling a woman what she can and cannot do with her body, I they think it's just, I think that in and of itself is problematic. And I think for me as a black woman in this country, that is what they brought us into. You know, from the from the time that they brought us onto these shores, unless you came prior to that or some other way, you were br brought here and you were you were bought and you were sold and you were dictated to and told what you could and could not do with your body. Um, you know, we, we know what that history is. I won't even go into the graphic details of what that looks like, but we know. And so I think if we're going to continue to go with the status quo, I don't think it, I don't think it serves us well. Um, I don't think it helps us in any way to even be able to measure our moral compass and take a look and see what is going on on both sides. Um, I, I understand that she, you know, clerked for Justice Scalia. And I think that that, that says a lot as well. Um, you know, I think that's, that's, yeah. that speaks volumes. And so I, I heard a joke the other day on, I think it was Al Sharpton who said it. He said, you know, she has two adopted children from Haiti. Thank you for adopting those children because those will be the only people of color at her swearing in. Um, I think, you know, so I think that's just, that's real. And at a, at a time in our country like this, it's like you said, you know, we're at a, at a real crossroads here. We could choose to go left. We could choose to go right. We could choose to go straight. And we could choose to do like what 45 is saying, make America go backwards again. <laughs> um, I think so. It's a, a real opportunity for us to really move forward. Um, we've learned a lot. We are working together. And I think that whether it's great, you know, we have a lot to work on to really be able to live together and coexist in peace and unity. But I would like to, I am of the, of the belief that we can get there if we work through it. But I think that if we bring in someone who is not, for that, I don't think that we'll get there because we don't have the leadership support. And unfortunately, at this time, we need some leaders that are in place that really have the heart of the people that really care and know. You know, how many of you all could get a million dollar, a couple million dollar loan from your parent um, as, as though it's nothing? You know, so I think having people in position that understand what it's like, who know what it's like, who don't just look at a homeless person as someone who is there because of their own fault, but you know, because of their circumstances, just all of those things. I think that when we have someone who is more holistic in approach, and I don't see Amy Coney Barrett being that. Um, I see her, yes, it's nice to have another woman, but I see her being status quo. And, and I just don't think that we can continue to be status quo at this time, maybe some other time. Yeah, right, <laughs> maybe some other time. I agree. And, and I think it's time out for us to continue to push this patriarchal agenda. Like, yeah. as women, I don't understand how we think it's okay for someone else to determine our body, our, our right to reproductive. Right. We should be able to say who, we should be able to say when, we should be able to say where, we should be able to say how. Um, we are not telling men that they need to go and get a vasectomy. Hello. We are not telling men anything about their sexual organs or their body or anything else. Right, right, right. But they continue to have a say over us, and we think that's okay in 2020. Right, exactly. Well, um, you know, and, and just and that's a great segue into our our closing, um, our, our closing discussion on. Um, what's going on with women in the workplace to what you were saying, um, Dr. Malone is, is exactly right. Um, but as faith leaders, one of the things we understand about faith and, 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 and our individual walks with our creator is that our creator has blessed us with, with, with choice and volitional element. That means that we can make a choice. Absolutely. Believe. Now, this country with uh, religious freedom is a is a is a subject that this country has battled with for a long time. Well, there's still a choice, and so it, it may not be your choice to end to, to have say so or to end life, but it may be somebody else's choice. And I don't know if that's up to the government to determine if it's right or wrong. I think it's between that individual and the person and the God that they choose to believe in. 
whether it be God, whether it be Jehovah, whether it be Allah, or whatever it is, it's between, it's very individual and it's very personal. And it's not something that the government should have any say so over. And so with that, I, I would like for us to you know, kind of close our discussion talking about this latest report. Um, there's a report that came out uh, recently uh, about the indicates that women are being disproportionately uh, being displaced from America's workplace. And there is, a matter of fact, there's a report that, uh, an actual report that came out in, in, um, entitled Women in the Workplace. And I just want to know, um, you know, in closing, this is the Women's Laboratory, and we're looking at uh, issues that are affecting women directly. Uh, you know, based on what you read in the report and based on what you understand, uh, uh, how do you feel, what, are you, what is your perspective on the position of women in the workplace, especially during this COVID crisis? Anybody? Well, the position has always been a concern with uh, gender bias and, and inequality, right? Especially when it comes to salary and, and wages that women get a dime to every man's dollar. Um, and so that has always been on the forefront for the last 20 years of fighting for just equal wages in the workforce. Um, and now, as uh, Dr. Malone mentioned, this whole patriarchal, patriarchal thing, it's men now being threatened for their jobs in high positions because now they're more qualified women that are becoming CEOs or presidents and things like that that's becoming conflictual. But even as the women are CEOs and breaking sunglass ceilings, the pay still not the same. Like you could become CEO, but you're not going to make the 400000 that the man made uh, because he he provides for a home, you know. You don't provide for a home, like yeah, we do. Well, you shouldn't, <laughs> you know. So it's all the patriarchal piece to that, and so you know the study definitely reminds us that it's also of people of color, uh, how that workplace is going for them. How do you how do we work and, and gain these strides when we're still parenting, when we're still caring for uh, elderly parents? But these, these other things that's working in our uh, ecological system here that we're still in community, in schools, in this, and in that, it gets hard. And we juggle that, and we juggle it well. But we also have heart disease, hypertension, right. <laughs> diabetes, and stress, and all this other stuff that goes along with it. Um, so the study definitely kind of allows us to see what we kind of know. But in the COVID-19, it also gives us a little balance now because now everybody's affected. So uh, now men are at home with families as well. And now you got to take care of the remote learning on Tuesday. <laughs> I take care of uh, work on Tuesdays. And so now they're beginning to see some shifts that are beginning to happen um, because of everybody was sheltering in place and working they see some shit happening and then noticing how women were able to just bounce right back like if they didn't pause we were ready to just go back and forth with it but men it took a minute <laughs> it took a minute to figure out how to engage uh in this particular set but you know women we're used to juggling home work life absolutely Absolutely. I was just about to say that. I said, because I think as women, we have already been juggling, juggling and managing and multitasking. So to be able to do this is, has already been a part of our makeup. Um, but the whole issue of COVID has a different dynamic, um, especially for um, single mothers who don't have the luxury of having a, a husband to help them out. And then some of them happen to leave their jobs to be at home with their child because they don't have a school to go to and they have to do online learning. And so now they are um, experiencing financial difficulties and hardship, um, collecting unemployment, which does not pay the bills and standing in food lines. And, and on top of that, don't have um, health insurance. Um, in addition to all of the other losses 
I was just I was just gonna say I um I come from women who have for generations been turning 10 cents into a dollar that was pre-covid um you know who have been making it work and who have just I don't even know you know like I look at my mother was a single mother and I look back on the the things that she did and how she kept me in line and kept me moving and I'm just you know I'm I'm honestly and this was pre-covid you know so I think that I think that black women unfortunately are are resilient you know and and I say unfortunately I think it's we're resilient because we have been forced to be um you know a lot of the time starting you know as early as slavery we were separated from our spouses you know we were separated from our par our life partners so from that time we have you know women have just been specifically black women have just been holding the home down in so many ways not discounting the men that do it as well but i think that at this time in particular we're used to to weathering storms if you will this is just one storm so i think that you know, yes, the that pay that pay gap is very serious. I I I cannot tell you how many people have, as a minister, and I'm a, I've been in ministry over ten years. How many people have come up to me and said, "When is your husband going to go into ministry?" What? Um, you know, so I think all of all of those things coupled, especially when we talk about the church. You know, you have women in these Z level churches, and then you're questioning their, you know, their 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 credentials in a z level church meanwhile you have a man in a church with the bachelors so you know, for me it's just i think there's just so again i've watched women in ministry weather these storms and they're weathering them right now you know we're talking about the rest of the world and you hear bishops and everybody else talk about the president i'm like well meanwhile in our denomination we have a whole list of issues so I think that, you know, I think that the women that I know, and maybe maybe these are just the women that I know, but the women that I know have been making this system work because they knew that it wasn't designed for us. They knew that it wasn't designed for their success. So they've been hustling and just making it work. And I have friends now who have walked away from jobs because they're young mothers with young children. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, you know, so the reality of our situation in, in our home is, are we sending our kids to Montessori or are we just gonna figure it out and we've chosen chosen to figure it out so I think that black women unfortunately are getting a lot of a, a lot of brunt but unfortunately you know in this situation because that's all we've really ever gotten it's serving us our resiliency it's working for us because we know how to survive that is what this country has for sure taught us is how to survive so I laugh at other folks sometimes when they're talking about how tough things are because they weren't much better for us a year ago. You know, you looking at the, the reality, we were dying from hypertension. We were dying from diabetes. We were dying from everything. You know, as far as I know, we've always been at the lower, lower end of the spectrum. Whatever they say that the world has, we have it worse. That's what, you know, so that, and that's what the media has been telling us since COVID has started. Black African-Americans have this worse. African-Americans have this, that's what the news is telling us. You know what I mean? So that's whatever statistics they're showing, that's the reality. So I think that for me, a point of privilege as a black woman is saying I'm a survivor and I'm watching all of these other women survive. Things that I wish they didn't have to, things that I certainly think are sad and tragic. But again, you know, I, I know that we are survivors because we've made it through all of these other things and we're making it through this as well. And even if 45 is elected again, we'll make it through that too, because you know, one Mickey don't stop no show. So, yeah. Well, I certainly do appreciate, uh, appreciate your perspective. Just like I appreciate every, everyone's here. Um, and we're, it's come time for us to close out this particular subject, uh, this particular ep uh, episode of the women's laboratory, but we will, be meeting again on next month and next month will be uh the week after i think we meet the week after um the the presidential election but um but on next week's show we're gonna break down the green new deal which was part of the conversation on last night's uh on last night's debate vice presidential debate and we're going to talk a little bit more about breaking down that new green deal and what that's all about fracking the issue of fracking and other crisis impacts. So join us on next week uh, as we get ready to uh, talk about climate and I'll have some, some forerunners in the, in the
in the field of climate crisis to, to join us. And we'll talk a lot more about that on then. Until then, please, uh, I just want to thank everybody for coming out. A special thanks to Keystone Public Radio. And please remember those famous words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King that whatever affects one of us directly affects us all directly. Good night. And Welcome to Perspectives On, where we're giving the world a voice. We are a faith-based social justice forum where individuals give their perspectives on various topics. It's an opportunity to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on justice issues affecting the community and globally. Each episode features guests presenting their perspective on things like climate change, the church, urban farming, and food insecurity, all through a unique faith lens. Come check us out. Give us your 